0: Welcome to the Lead with Empathy podcast. I am your host, Holly Logan, and here we are going to have meaningful and hopefully some fun conversations about motherhood, parenthood, illness, disease, physical and mental wellness, nutrition, and beyond. And as the title implies, we lead here with empathy. With that said, let's dive into the episode. Welcome back to the podcast today. I bring you Courtney Huffman of Functional Face. If you have followed me for any length of time, you probably have heard me babble on about my kids' tongue ties. For my middle in particular, it impacted his sleep. And for my youngest, it actually impacted breastfeeding early in the beginning and then eating when we transitioned to solids. Both my kids see an oral facial myologist now, which is not a specialty I was familiar with when I was in practice. Luckily, I sought out a speech pathologist and that's how we got connected when my middle was having issues with his articulation, but it opened up so many conversations about not just his speech, but his sleep, his open mouth sleep posture. I could go on, but these are topics that I personally seek out information now because of the struggles in our household, both continuing education for myself and even my husband. But when I get questions about from families about tongue ties or sleep issues or feeding issues or ADHD type symptoms, I always need about 10 minutes of their time because they're complicated topics, but they're so important to the longevity of our health. And my goal, I'm so glad that I got connected with Courtney because she's going to bring you some information and ideas to bring to your provider or your child's provider because Courtney's passion was driven by her own child's sleep struggles, which I feel like is just the theme here of the podcast, finding passion out of personal family struggles. Courtney is a lifelong Midwesterner mom to three who owns and operates Functional Face providing oral facial myofunctional therapy, we'll talk about what that is, oral habit elimination, and sleep coaching services to children and adults. She has also been a dental hygienist for 20 years, but that's not currently how she's practicing. I will link her information in the show notes. And with that, let's welcome her to the podcast. Courtney, welcome. And thank you for being here because this is a topic near and dear to my heart, not just sleep books, root cause and functional sleep having dealt with this and currently dealing with airway issues with my own kids and myself. I'm excited for you to share what you do, pick your brain. And can we start with just of an intro of who you are and also what you do? Because I know what oral facial myology is. My kids see an oral facial biologist, uh once a week, two of them do. But I still have difficulties describing to people actually what you do. So that would be great if you could just kind of go over who you are, what you do, and what oral facial myology is. Yeah, sure. Thank you for having me on today. And uh, I would say you're not alone, Holly, because there was a good while while I was learning to do it, and then initially, you know, doing it that first year or so, like, what's a good, simple way that I can explain this to people? Because it's generally not something that a lot of people have heard of. I think that's changing. There's a way more awareness around it and way more people receiving their services in the last five to 10 years. So even though it's been around a long time, not a lot of people know. And sometimes it is hard to (laughs) explain it. So my background is initially a licensed dental hygienist. I've been that for 20 years now, which is just uh, crazy to me. But about six years ago, I started training in the treatment modality called oral facial myofunctional therapy. And so that is uh, something, uh, some additional training that a dental hygienist or speech pathologist might get postgraduate training. And I also do some, incorporate some particular breathing and sleep coaching into my practice functional face here in Southwest Indiana. So specifically with the myofunctional therapy, the simplest explanation I feel like I've come up with that kind of resonates with people is... That it's basically physical therapy for the mouth and the face, the muscles in the mouth and face. And when you you break down those words, oral facial, oral is mouth, facial is face. Lao means muscle and functional talks about their function. And so once I kind of say that, they're like, oh, OK, and then maybe they'll be like, oh, so do you help people with such and such and such and such? And that tends to expand the conversation to get into the the details of it. Because fundamentally, it is very simple. Our focus is on hugely on the tongue and its role and its resting posture. And I think the crazy or interesting thing is that the fundamental components of myofunctional therapy are really so simple, but the impacts that they can have on a person and their health and their well-being are huge. And that was, you know, one of the things that just really grabbed me was like, wow, what a difference learning this seemingly basic function and getting these things right can make a person. Yeah, that's a great explanation. I think it's simple enough. It is hard to explain, but that's what I feel like I'm doing with my kids is an oral physical therapy. And I love that you said that about how much it impacts us, because I can't tell you enough and we'll probably go into tongue ties. But my third son, I've always said this is just his tongue. And why is it impacting so many things? And same with my second child. So we'll go into that. But you mentioned we first chatted that you saw issues chairside all of the time. What issues did you see that made you go, hmm, this isn't right. What made you go down this rabbit hole of becoming an, you know certified in oral facial myology? What did you see as a dental hygienist that you can now connect? Well, th- there are so many things. You know, I think when you first get out of school with professional, I mean, it could be the same for other professionals, but particularly in the healthcare field, you leave feeling like you have this huge knowledge base and you've learned so much and that those continuing education things that you're going to get, like, it's just a refresher. What's the latest, you know, what's the latest thing that we've learned about it? But when I came across this information, I was like, what in the world? (laughs) This is huge. How did no one tell me? Why isn't this part of the basic curriculum? And it just made so much sense to me. But prior to that, what made me have those reactions were those things that I was seeing chairside that I was just like, that doesn't make sense or Answers that I was having to give to patients that didn't sit right with me. For example, wisdom teeth. You know, why do so many people not have their wisdom teeth anymore? We used to have them and they came in fine. You know, oh, we don't know. We must not need them anymore. Or what it is. Ah, like, oh, it's just because. And there's, yeah, showing. we don't know. We must not need them. Oh, Like You know, and I was like, that doesn't make sense to me. I remember feeling those feelings and just feeling like that was, you know, all the answers that I had to give, you know, give people. Um, and then also, oh, tooth grinding was a huge one. And uh, there was a little girl that I remember to this day. This was more than 10 years ago. This little girl came into our office and, you know, in the dental chair, you will see a lot of tooth grinders. And all that had been told to me up to that point was tooth grinding, stress, stress, stress. And I thought, why are we so stressed at night? Everything else relaxes in our body. You know, understand maybe you do have a stressful dream. There are some things that you process during the day, but that's their most relaxed state. Why would a child be so stressed that they're wearing their teeth down to nubs? And so her mom is like, you know, what? What's going on here? What's happening? And um, her teeth were super sensitive. She'd worn down to the dentin, which exposes, you know, gets that root exposure. So her teeth were hurting. And I remember saying to her, all we really know is, is that it's stress. And that doesn't really make sense to me. Is there anything that'd be stressing her out during the day? But, you know, and corresponding to her sleep, but yeah, we don't know what to do about that. And, you know, it was just a few years later that I started learning these things and that the number one cause for tooth grinding or in sleep is airway dysfunction, airway disturbances. And so, you know, hands down, most likely that little girl couldn't breathe in her sleep and she was struggling. You know, that's the way we open up that airway. And so seeing like that first article and seeing how that oral muscle dysfunction manifests itself with our growth and our development. And it translates into those problems with speech and eating and how we breathe and how we sleep, why people need braces, why people relapse after braces, oral facial pain, you know, so many things. It just explains so many things that I had either no answers to or half the answers to that was just taught in the mainstream dental model. My husband is a dentist, actually. And when we started to dive into the tongue tie thing, he's like, I bought one slide on this in dental school. And yeah. I got, like my husband, I think he's wonderful at what he does. He's actually very passionate about what he does, but he didn't start to understand and really dive into more of the tongue tie stuff and do and understand evaluations and how to really ask those questions of pediatric patients until we dealt with it with our own kid. And then he's dove a little bit more into it. Same with me as a nurse practitioner. I didn't start to understand it until I kind of went through it. And I'm like, what do you mean I'm just supposed to tell people that it's normal that a baby clicks when they feed? And I've told them it's normal for them to be excessively gassy and that they leak around their bottle and just all kinds of things that make you go, I'm just supposed to tell moms this is just the way it is. (laughs) So I totally connect with what you're saying there. Yeah. Yeah. And most people I find that do end up learning this treatment modality. They've had some kind of personal experience with it themselves, either themselves or the children. And that was true for me, too. Like I read that first article and I'm like, this explains me as a kid and everything I'm dealing with up to this point. I'm the poster child for these, <laughs> these issues. And then I was like, this is my son right now. My oldest son at the time was six. And what I was learning there, it completely changed the trajectory. That's how I found out he had obstructive sleep apnea and not ADHD, what I I think we're going to get into later. And it became personal. And when it does, it's just, you kind of can't help get into it. And what your husband said is true too. Like I thought, well, is it just me? You know, the dental hygienist, maybe that's different from what the dentists get in their training. And I've asked tons and they're like, nope, maybe five minutes glossed over. We got the same information you did. And it's basically, if the tongue is tied to the tip, that's a tongue tie, but they don't look at any other ways that you can be restricted. And there's so much more to it than that. But it's the, the obvious one, like you, you know, the kid, yeah. giant picture of the child who can't lift their tongue at all. But there's so much more about that posterior elevation. And when I talk about it, I want people to know, too, this is not. I can talk so much more eloquently about it than ever before, just because I've read so much. I've taken kitchen reeducation. I've read several books on it because when I was good, <laughs> but... We're going to go deeper into that, too. But I will say, so when you mentioned your own personal issues, I have TMJ disorder um, and I grind my teeth and those things forever. And I just I say this kindly, but do you feel like orthodontists? and ENTs and all these people were almost getting it wrong because I've, I've had struggles with different specialists from different worlds, both for myself, but also my second child who sees an ENT had a revision, had oral face myology. He has enlarged adenoids. And I feel like I just don't feel like they all agree or that they're all on the same page. And that's really frustrating as a parent and a patient. Do you see that in your line of work still? Are you trying to connect? Like when you get a referral, are you trying to deal with like, well, I need to talk to the, even my kids, oral facial myologist, and I'm seeing an ENT or an out of her request and they're telling me different things. And it's so as a, As someone who's, you could say, educated in this, yes, I have the tools to fight back a little bit. But if I didn't have the knowledge or the tools, man, would that be frustrating? Yes. Yes. I see it all the time. I have this conversation with parents, particularly probably weekly. And it's hard for us, too, because we need these other professionals to help us achieve our goals. You know, if you don't remove the barriers to normal function, and sometimes there are things going on, like let's say they've got a tongue restriction or we've got some kind of nasal or oropharyngeal obstruction, we can't rehabilitate normal tongue posture and normal breathing if there's a blockage or normal tongue posture if the tongue's restricted. We've done, and we're going to talk you know, a little bit about this too, Like, but like you've thrown everything at this problem and this is what you're left with going to the ENT or having this surgery. And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. They're crazy. (laughs) It's like, oh, uh. So it's been what I like about oral patient biology is it is so collaborative. And it's one of the most collaborative questions that I've ever per, Yeah, that I that I've seen. In fact, there was a really nice article. I can't remember his name. A dentist wrote in like, I don't know, the journal of Sleep Medicine. It was earlier this year about how myofunctional therapists are some of the most collaborative professionals and how how it's helping patients. Because, you know, the body, you know, what's happening here in the head and neck, it's not exclusive and separate from everything else in the, the body. And if there's things you know, going on below the neck, it can affect our work up here. There's so many things sometimes, which can be a frustration to families because we have to sometimes get more people involved, but in order to really get stable results, treat the root cause, that's what we got to do. And that's really the best way to do it. And so when I have these things, and I know the provider that we're going to, I do have a few providers that, you know, they get it. We're on the same page. We're speaking the same language. And fortunately, they're not really close to me. Oh, we have a wonderful release provider about an hour away. So that's not horrible. But, you know, when it comes to maybe bigger things for growth appliances and an airway mindset with orthodontics, they're two, two and a half hours away. So I'm trying to build these relationships with providers here. And thankfully, there are some that are open minded to having the conversations, but some they'll be like, oh, you're going to functional face, aren't you? (laughs) And, And they'll and they'll begrudgingly do what I ask. And it's like, you know, they're seeing us get results. We're getting wonderful results for our patients. And so I think, you know, when they see that over and over again, they're like, okay, they know what they're talking about. And the, the other thing I tell people, too, is that, you know, they're a specialist in their own field. And I know that they know things that I don't know. And I know that I know things that they don't know. I say this kindly, but yeah. I was a student and I know what they're limited to and what they get in that education. And then moving forward, like when I was an NP at one point, I was the nurses were like, you know, if their baby had colic, we put them to Holly because Holly has done the extra because her own child went through colic, quote unquote, which right. I yeah. yeah. Right. So then when they, babies needed like a reflux, colic, tunti issue, they came to me and it's because that was my passion. So when some of these ENTs or orthos or surgeons, if they ever start to see someone like patients like yours and they're like, why are these patients doing better than my others? There might be some kind of spark that like I need a yeah. patient on this. And that's what I feel probably about. You must be familiar with, um, i probably pronounced his name wrong, but Dr. Vahiri, is it? Uh-huh. Doctor. Mm-hmm. Oh, you read about Dr. Baxter, The Tongue Tie. Mm-hmm. I read that book and he, he went through it with his children. Until we've had those personal experiences, sometimes we can't understand yeah. that. And with like the ENT situation, that's probably one of the hardest because at least in the dental world, there is definitely a shift happening Mm -hmm. because in 2017, I think it was, it was strongly recommended that dentists be doing airway screenings for all their patients because at that point we knew there were so many symptoms of airway disorders showing up in the mouth. You know, the clinical markers are, it's just full of them. And now at this point, actually, I think it was March or April of last year, 2022, it's like standard of care. So if a person's dentist is not asking them these questions and not looking at the mouth with that mindset, even if they don't know how to treat it, you know, they could be liable for malpractice. It's still happening because it's, you know, people are slow to adopt these things, but that's where we're at. So dentistry is really starting to make that shift. They're they're getting more of those continuing education classes and they're like, okay, I kind of know what you're talking about. But with the ENTs, I was really surprised because I just assumed ear, nose and throat. They know the space like the back of the hand. If I say we've got this obstruction and it's causing airway problems that they're just going to know what I'm talking about and take care of it. And there is a very knowledgeable, well-known in the space ENT in Australia named Dr. David McIntosh. And he shares a lot of wonderful content on his pages and he's written some great books One of them called Don't Ignore the Snore. And all the time, you know, people are commenting on their You know, like, well, I sent them to the ENT and they're getting dismissed. They're getting dismissed. He's like, he said this many times, you know, just like other fields, like, say, take dentistry or whatever, or even medical professionals. There's a lot of specialties within the ENT space. And some just focus on the ears. Some focus on plastics. Some focus on this. And if you're not sending them to the right person that specializes in that, they're not going to get it. But what I found is those people that are specializing in this, in the ENT space, are so few and far between. There is very few of them that are really diving into this and get it. And so I have a, one in, in my area that's, he, he doesn't really get what I'm doing here, but he's at least open. I send a really nice report of what the signs and symptoms are, what I'm concerned with. Could he please check this? I can't be successful unless they have a patent Airway day and night, can you figure out why they don't? And he does, you know, a beautiful job. So it's not the perfect relationship because it's not like super collaborative. And I but still he, have to do all that explaining, but he's willing to do it. Well, then he and understand that maybe yeah. you know something he doesn't or can see something. And that's, that's honestly my own hope with my son's ENT is I push back a little bit. And he, I think the big things with ENTs is they're surgeons and surgeons. Yeah. Like, we want surgery and do surgery and for me as a mother I wasn't that's not something I want to do immediately I really wanted more like root cause for my second who has severely enlarged adenoids impacting you know what was impacting sleep but my goal was more like why are these so large and I wanted to get more to root cause and figure out because even if I took those adenoids out would Everything go is perfect. It's a whole long story, but um, mm-hmm. because I want this to be a conversation also about if someone has concerns about their child, I'm going to shift a little bit and say, I've learned so much about the muscul- uh, musculature of the face and how it impacts chewing and sleep. You mentioned that as well, how much the mouth just impacts everything. One good way my oral myologist says it is because my kids have ties is that we're starting to um, dissociate the tongue from the jaw. But I would love to specifically talk about also the links to ADHD, you mentioned that a little bit because I think this is something, airway is something that's commonly overlooked uh, when it comes to ADHD and some of these other behavioral things. And to be honest, I missed this with my own toddler because I always knew something wasn't right and I couldn't, I saw an ENT when he is 18 months old. And again, it was just like, just wait until he gets bigger. But he had horrible sleep. And yes, we've dealt with something called allergic particleitis and reflux and tongue ties, etc. But he would have night tantrums. I'm talking like middle of the night, wake up screaming tantrums a couple times a week. And I always knew that's not normal. Like, you know, in terms of blood sugar, I get it. There's a lot of things it could have been. But now I'm convinced, knowing what I know now, that it was all related to poor quality, probably a degree of obstructive sleep. So yeah. what do we know about sleep and ADHD or behavioral issues in general with children as it's linked to sleep obstruction? Well, within the OMT world, um, we deal with breathing and sleep a lot because one of the most common reasons for oral malfunctional disorders that we treat is airway obstruction. So it kind of makes you that, that's the other rabbit hole we kind of get into even more is breathing and sleep. And so once these things develops, like say we've got an airway obstruction, and now we've got these oral myofunctional disorders, they actually you know can make these problems worse. They kind of feed off each other, and how we sleep and breathe affects so many things. So I often tell you know my clients, there's not one system of the body that's not negatively impacted by poor sleep and breathing, and we don't always see those symptoms, but they they can show up externally as well. And one of them with children lots of research that shows this, academics, behavior and executive functioning. And so one of those things, let's just say the behaviors of children with ADHD. A lot of people now, oh, you know, maybe there's hyperactivity. They can't sit still. They're having trouble concentrating and focusing. Well, you know, when you have a child that's waking up from a night of poor sleep, either they didn't get enough or they were in in the sense of like the time was too short or just constantly being woken up from poor breathing. It's been restless. Like they basically had a workout all night. You know, they were not rested. The brain. Did not get the chance to do all the amazing, awesome things it does when we sleep, they're more likely to be irritable and behave poorly, not be able to concentrate, not be able to focus. And, you know, as adults, I'm sure we've had a night like that or two where the next day we didn't feel so great. We weren't up to our best. And so you can imagine a child who's chronically in that state. How are they going to show up? So a lot of times parents, I find they don't know what's happening with their child's sleep, especially as they get older. So, you know, let's say, you know, they're four years old or beyond, and you know, you put them to bed, you shut that door, they don't wake you up till the next day, you don't know what's going on. And all you see the next day is this child who isn't cooperating with you, fussy, whiny. They may not always show up as tired. Some some of the kids will show up as tired, but I describe it as tired but wired. So those are the ones that, you know, they look like they're kind of driven by a motor because the last thing on earth they want to do is take a nap. So they've got to keep keep themselves going, right? and craving those sugars and all those things that just kind of exacerbate it because they're trying to stay awake. So the research shows that about 25 to 75% of kids with ADHD actually have sleep disorder breathing and it's a misdiagnosis. And so, like I mentioned earlier with my son, we were right in the midst of that process and I learned this stuff and I said, wait a second, before we give him amphetamines, can you have a sleep study? Sure enough, he had obstructive sleep apnea and he was not showing up with kind of the typical symptoms that you would see. He was not snoring and things like that, but I was like, let me just see what's happening with the sleep. Because other kinds of sleep disturbances, anything that disturbs sleeping kids is going to have these effects on them. Because at night, our brains are getting rid of the metabolic waste that we've created during the day from just thinking and being a human. And that's where memories start to be stored. That's where learning like the cementation of whatever you took in during that day gets printed on the brain. But it's um, also growth hormone release. Everything is set up in a cycle, in a system. And if you have these constant arousals, awakenings, even if they're not enough, like I'm fully awake, even those micro arousals, you are not going to have a well-rested child and they're not going to be able to, you know, behave or function like a rested child would. And the sad thing about this is, I think, is that some of this damage can be permanent, permanent damage to the brain if you don't treat it soon. So a lot of times it'll go away, but some of it never goes away. And I think when people hear that, you know, I read that when I was in the midst of learning and there was a part, it hit me right in the gut because I'm like, what do you mean it's permanent for my, you know, two or three year old? And so it hit me when I'm like, did I ignore that as a parent? And it was really hard to read. But what I try to remember and what I try to tell people when they talk to me about it is, okay, what can we do now to set them up for success for the rest of their life? So my middle who has gone through all these struggles and I just share my own struggles to teach because I feel uh-huh. like oh, yeah. my middle is built designed genetically a lot like my husband's side of the family that had struggles with obstructive sleep apnea, high cholesterol, all kinds of things that are lifestyle slash structural issues. In my head, everything I'm doing for him now is so that way when he's 40 years old, he's not struggling as much as the rest of his genetic family. And exactly, if you're hearing this and you're like, what do you mean my kid You know, snores in there and I'm doing structural... D- remember that even if they're like two, three, four years old, I'm trying to design his life so that way by the time he is 50, 60, 70, He's not dealing with the same degree as his relatives, because a lot of times the first one that's referred, referred here, I mean, by far, it, it's just children. Um, we, we treat adults. I love treating adults. But a lot of times we'll start with those kiddos. And then the parents are sitting here listening and they're like, oh, wait a minute. That's my husband. That's yeah. me. <laughs> and then they, they have all this list of symptoms and things that they dealt with over the years. And they're like, I don't want my kid. You know, I'm on a CPAP machine now. I don't want that to be, you know, my kid. And all those, the health consequences that come with it, you know, you get a, you don't treat it. It reduces your lifespan. I mean, it's bad. I always tell parents, I don't want to scare you, but I kind of want to scare you because the longer you let this go on, the more these risks of permanent damage to the brain and the cardiovascular system go up. And the sooner we get started and, you know, a lot of it is reversible, but some may be permanent, but it's not, you know, like a hundred percent guaranteed, but Let's take some action. Let's, let's get the ball rolling and help your kid feel and do better. Going off that, So a kid comes in. And another thing I wanted to ask you about is, do you look at it, sleep and airway holistically and other aspects? One thing that I'm very passionate about too is the nutritional aspect okay. of course, because like we've removed dairy from my son and I'm waiting on ENT actually to review his adenoids from like a six month follow-up after removing dairy. We've removed a ton of other things from his diet as well, but dairy being a huge one, do you kind of look at those other aspects? Are you one, if a kid comes in, are you ever saying like you remove X, Y, or Z from your diet. I'm just curious if you're not. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, no, and I, no, I do, I do, and I think even if a person coming into learn learning to the skill set was not holistically minded, as you go through it, you kind of end up being that way anyway because you can't help it because it's looking at the whole body. It's looking at the root cause. And so I was already kind of all on that way. I'm not like deep in a hundred percent crunchy person. I would consider myself a mild to moderate. I try as much things as naturally as possible. I mean, if it's a simple fix, like remove a dairy, let's do it, you know, let's avoid the surgery. Well, so, no, know, because we're trying to like alter his gut microbiome and one of the nerves. Yeah, uh, exactly. So I'll make recommendations like that and say, you know, dairy for one. So even if it's not an, an allergy or intolerance that people have, it does increases mucus production and and some inflammation. So especially, you know, there's always that, oh, have a warm glass of milk before bed. Don't have warm glass of milk before bed if you've got an airway problem, because it's just going to make it worse. And I just saw this really in in action in this last month with a little one. And that was, you know, he just had dark circles under his eyes, just drool dripping out of his mouth. Behavior was atrocious, just looked unwell. And I said, you know, he's already had his adenoids out, but it's like, you have any reason to suspect allergies? Yeah, but the doctors don't want to test yet. Like, why not? Let's try to treat these allergies. How do you feel about getting rid of milk? He was a different kid. I just saw him yesterday and he was his face, like his countenance. He just looked healthy. No more dark circles in his eyes. His mom's the best sleep that he's had since he's been born and his level of cooperation. It was just night and day. And so, you know, that's a big one for adenoid obstruction allergies. And a lot of times people think they don't have them. I think because some people don't show up with the traditional symptoms of the itchy, watery eyes and nose, scratchy throat, sneezing. Some people, they get somehow get under the wire, have these kind of low level symptoms, and it's just showing up with the enlargement of those structures. Most of the time we do find the research shows that with console and adenoid enlargement, it's viral bacterial inflammation. Wheat is another one that can do it. And then also, like you said, the gut health. So that's not my professional base. know enough about it to give people some guidance and to check in and look into those things. Dairy is an easy one to kind of get rid of, but probably dairy and weed are the biggest offenders for people. And then, you know, the microbiome for the gut starts in the mouth. It's the same whole tract here. So getting that in line. And even we know that with people with obstructive sleep apnea is that you can have inflammation in the airways. And so that swells up. So if we remove that inflammation, that could be caused from an altered microbiome. You know, anything that we can do to help, let's do that. Now, I do find some people, by the time they have got to me, they have already done all those things. Um, I've had some families or they're in the, the you know, they haven't tried it yet but they want to. You know, some come in, I do not want to remove tonsils and adenoids. I'm like, okay, well, here's some things that you can try. Also, some some will do like, uh, maybe seek out the help of a naturopath or a homeopathy. You yep. to try to see if they can figure stuff out. And I've had some people that they throw everything at it and nothing works because there is a difference between a swollen tissue due to inflammation and just overgrowth of tissue, you know? And sometimes they're just big. And one thing that's important to know about that, too, is sometimes we're kind of thinking about it wrong, too, in the sense. I mean, there's some that are obviously big, like you look at the back of the throat, they're blocking their weight. It's a no brainer situation. These are huge. But when you have some that maybe are more mildly large, the space that they're occupying might be too small. So when we take some imaging and we look at the airway space, you know, we'd like to see about, you know, the size of a garden hose, but we're dealing with a coffee straw or regular straw. Well, in relation to the space they're in, they're too big. But if you improve that airway space, we've got better breathing and maybe they're normal. So one of the things that we know a lot of doctors were seeing, like we knew we got some nasal improvement with nasal breathing improvement with expansion appliances because the roof of the now- mouth is the floor of the nose. So when that gets better, we're increasing the airway space, the resistance to breathing tends to be less. And so that was really helpful for kids. Um, but back again, just last year, 2022, Dr. Audrey Yoon and Rebecca Bacow and some others, um, they published some research on does expansion affect the tonsils that annoy the children? Because they were seeing it, so they decided to study it. And they found that 90% of the cases, not only was you know the nasal breathing improving and the airway space improving, but the tonsils and adenoids were going down. I believe it was anywhere from 16 to 37%. What the, th- the thinking is that now that the nasal breathing can improve and we can get those lips closed, you know, the nose can work as the filter as it's designed to be. The mouth is not that filter. And, you know, the extra inflammation that may come from mouth breathing and exacerbate the problem is reduced. And so you get a little bit of improvement with that. So if I have families that are looking like, I don't want to do that. Like, let's try these things. But I also say, like, I don't want to be a part of waiting around and watching your child suffer, especially we go through this health history and they've been like this for years. You know, it's like we got to look at the lesser of the two evils here. And so I'm happy to help you do that. But let's not mess around with it. Let's go at it. And we're I'm going to give you a timeline because if not, then you'll have to work with somebody else because I, I don't want to watch this happen and participate in helping, you know, your kiddo not breathe well. No way. The consequences. Yeah, that's a good perspective because I've told my oral facial we get into tips a little bit because she is very strong minded about certain things. And I'm also, I removed dairy from my son and he's a nasal breather. Thank goodness. Since December, he had a t- uh, ties last December. And even when he's been sick, he's now a nasal breather. It makes me want to cry, honestly, to think of, yeah, I'm not being dramatic, like because this child struggled so much in his life. And so now he's a nasal breather. And even when he had a recent cold, he was breathing through his nose, which for me is like a miracle. But we get into tips because she says that when she does her work, that his uvula still doesn't elevate properly, which she said is related to the adenoids. So we get into a little bit of like, I need t- <laughs> to hear your perspective also of like, if you're not going to do your work, then we can't work together. And I, so I need to remember that for myself. But I think also what I'm hearing from you and I want people to hear is it's all individual. I think yeah. people want, oh, like, well, if Holly removes dairy from her child, it's an effective modality to shrink his adenoids and does a tote release, then that's what's going to work for my child. And I just want people to know I've had friends who removed their kids' adenoids and they needed to because their symptoms of their child were so different and significant and impacting sleep to a different degree and impacting school, like every child's journey and symptoms and everything's different. Everyone's different. And I'm, I, I'm willing to try. Because I'm, I'm not, you know, if we don't have to remove any barney park. Let's not do that. Yeah, yeah. We, you know, we can, hey, that was the reason why this happened. Right. You know, we figured it out. And also adequately addressing the allergies. I think it's like you're one and a half times more likely to have sleep, sort of breathing with untreated allergies. So let's figure out if we got them and, you know, tackle that problem. So I like to, you know, anything that I can do from any angle to help improve the situation. So in that case, we're looking at consoles and anoids. So what is it dietary? What is it out, al- you know, from an allergy component? What is it from a space component? Yeah. Let's try to make all those things better. And if we're still having some trouble and I always tell parents, you know, it's ultimately your decision. But the thing is like, if a child is still obstructed and breathing, I'm not going to make any progress with therapy. You know, they're literally wasting their time and money. You know, we won't be able to make progress. So we've got to figure out how to get that airway open. And you know, that's my main goal. And I'm happy to try different things to do it, but I don't want it to take forever, especially if they've already been dealing with these things a long time. Because you've seen again in what you're reading is the permanent damage. And yeah, and I've seen I've seen it with, you know, the children and adults and myself what you know what it's done. And it's just not worth it. You know, it's a good perspective. I think it's and it gives that little like kick in that for me, even when I've been like, oh, why do I even bother? It's but awesome. that being said, with the ENT stuff, some people do go get them mal- out, even, you know, has not, they're not seeing a malfunctional therapist or anything like that. And they've just, you know, they've managed to be in a place where they've got, you know, they noticed their kid was snoring and having trouble. They got the the, the adenoids or tonsils out and things are good for a little while and then they relapse. And there's not a ton of research on that, but there has been a couple done with uh, Dr. Christian Gimino, who has since passed, and he's kind of considered the father of sleep apnea. He was the one who coined the term. So he did a lot of research on that. And he found that kiddos who were not getting the rehabilitation post-surgical removal were relapsing with sleep disorder breathing anywhere from two and a half to five years later. So that's that's the role. Like I'm big on, if you're going to do this, you need to be seeing a therapist because the body has learned up to that point, this is how I work. You know, I keep my mouth open. I keep my tongue low. I have these dysfunctional breathing patterns. It's neuromuscular connections for, you know, operations. And that has to be relearned or they will go back. And it was like in every, every case, the kids eventually relapse. And I see that a lot too. Oh, we had a tonsils and adenoids out a year ago. We were good for a little while, but now we're back to where we started. Or they never got better at all. And so I think that's a really important role that malfunctional therapy can play And the total, you know, rehabilitation of sleep disorder breathing. And that's what, you know, even the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, it's listed on, you know, like, how do we help these kiddos? It's part of the, you know, recommended treatment plan that they have that therapy along with tonsil removal. And that goes along because the next question I was going to be is your experience on tongue ties and how it impacts functional airway. And that one of the frustrating things about tongue tie is that I'm finding too, in my state, too, we have less resources than others of, OK, if you're going to have a tongue tie release, say you have an infant, you need to find an IBCLC, which is a lactation consultant, but one that's actually committed an understanding of tongue tie. So that way they can do the, the proper therapies. If you're talking about an older child, you know, you're thinking body work, which is body work. We think of chiropractic osteopath, anything that's like releasing muscle tension. Mm-hmm. Plus the either PT or oral facial work, which is what we've done. And we we have a body, we've done body work as well. My kids have seen a body worker since they were, kid- or when they were all infants, they did. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and so there are so many pieces. So what are your views, I guess, on Tuntai and Function? Because I think there's so much information about there out there right now. And I just want to kind of get your perspective on it. Well, for a long time, I would say in short that they have, they have a big impact on their airway and sleep. And for a long time, the understanding with tongue tie was just like, oh, you know, it only affects breastfeeding infants, you know, if they're, or, or, and, and sometimes with speech, that's the only way it shows up and that's it. And, you know, I still get people, sometimes I'm just surprised. It's a real bad, obvious tongue tie. And they're like, oh, my dentist said, if it's not impacting speech, it's not a problem. And then we go and we really get into the health history and we're looking at their structures and it's like. Yeah, this was impacting you in a lot more ways than, you know, they, they realized. But that was the old way of thinking. And so while well, some of that information is still floating around, but now we know that there's way more consequences because the tongue's not able to rest in that roof of the mouth and help it to develop. So we'll see, tend to see generally higher vaulted palates, roofs of the mouth, and that only exacerbates that problem with that tongue not being able to rest in the palate. And with children, when it comes to obstructive sleep apnea, the most common reason for obstruction is enlarged tonsils and adenoids. But in general, when we look at obstructive sleep apnea, particularly with adults, close to 75 percent of cases are due to the tongue obstructing the airway. And if the tongue is being kept low, you imagine a person, you know, the tongue is low in the mouth and then they go horizontal, the tongue falls back. And there's a whole industry. Built on doing things to get the tongue out of the airway, surgeries. There's a surgery called Inspire, where they insert an electrode into the hypoglossal nerve of the tongue. People have a battery pack in their chest, and they have this little remote control. And at night, they turn it on so that they can get that tongue up and out of the airway. And some there, they connect it. There's a sling, and they'll connect it to the there's the only bone that the tongue attaches to the hyoid bones. there's this surgery. of not remember the name. It looks like a sling, and they attach it to the hyoid to bring it forward. And I'm just like, wait, wait, try my functional therapy first, because that that's the whole you know point of what we're doing. But a lot of those, that's what happens, and so there's, it's really only been, I think about since maybe 2015 or so that we started to get more research that shows that it is a risk factor for developing sleep apnea. Short lingual friendoms are a risk factor for developing sleep apnea. There was one study, I think it was by Dr. Christian Gimeno, again in like 2015. And it. Every child that they had with obstructive sleep apnea had a short lean bullprenum. And some of the newer researchers saying like, if they've got obstructive sleep apnea, check that, check for a tongue tie. And the sad thing with research is I've learned in recent years that it takes about 15 to 20 years before it becomes common practice. So even though this stuff is out there, you know, I'm, I'm attuned to it because it's in my wheelhouse and. It's one of those things where you see it clinically all the time and now you're finally getting some of the, you know, the, the research done to help back that up, what you're seeing. But for it to be everyday, mainstream, this is what your doctor's looking for. We're not there yet. And honestly, you know, what we do in an evaluation is very, very thorough. And so sometimes, you know, it's figuring out a person has a tongue restriction. It is not just a quick look in the mouth because we're looking at function. I want to interrupt just real quick because there's a part of a group on Facebook and women will always post pictures of their babies and say, is this? pie before I go to the specialist to have it looked at. And all the people who are within the tongue tie world will be like, you can't base a tongue tie diagnosis off of a picture. It always has to be function. But I always (laughs) laugh at that personally because I feel like I agree and disagree with that. Obviously it's about function, but then there are some that they post pictures and I go, oh, come on, people. people. (laughs) Like comment on this. I'm like, we're not supposed to base it on a picture, but this one's super obvious. (laughs) We're super obvious. And so I'm always thinking like, okay, if someone listening to this and they have concerns for their child say from infant and beyond and they're they're like i gotta go look at my child's mouth now and then i want people to understand that like it is important to have an evaluation with someone who understands ties and it's not just a quick like if your dentist just looks in the mouth and pretty much just like looks at their tongue, looks at their mouth, and all that are not tied, that's not mm-hmm. a proper evaluation. And you can easily no. say, oh, okay, like, I think I should go see someone else who maybe uh, understands this. Maybe it's oral function myologist. Like If someone's listening to this and they're like, well, great. Like, should I start with ENT? Should I start with oral patient biology? Like... I want to help guide people. So where do, you, where do you start and what's your usual recommendation if you could start over even with your own child? <laughs> yeah, I would say not to start with an ENT. I would say start with a malfunctional therapist because we have this perspective that kind of includes all of all of those things. So we're looking at airway, we're looking at tongue ties, we're looking at oral habits, we're looking at sleep, we're looking at breathing, we're looking at eating. And in that evaluation, we can figure out, you know, what's what's going on where and then who we need to help you. So maybe we still do need that help with that ENT or the allergist, but if we just jump right into the ENT, and there's some great ENTs doing beautiful jobs with like tongue tie releases, but they're really, really few and far between. Most of them you go, they'll be like, they're a fad, they don't exist. That's not who you want releasing your child's tie, releasing something that they don't even think is real. And And sometimes like these ties, they're submucosal. You don't see them unless you are able to get under the tongue, you know, lift, or you go through these, some of these skill sets with a, a child or an adult. And it's like, they can't do them. And it's not just about sticking the tongue out. And that's what will do that a lot. Stick your tongue out. That's when I first started. That's how I was taught. If a child can stick their tongue out, they're not tied. How and long yeah. knowing. It makes me want to like vomit thinking about, Like thinking, you know, in my early practice, if that's what I learned, then how many did I miss, you know? Yeah. Well, because that's what we're taught. And now, obviously, I know so much more, but it makes me question. Yeah. Yeah. So I I feel like that's the best place. So obviously, if it's a baby, an IBCLC who has training and ties, I was I just assumed like, (laughs) like, oh, you work babies in the mouth and breastfeeding, you know, like that they would know what's going on in the mouth there. They don't unless they go get training for it. So a lot of babies will get missed because, you know, and I, I there's a great IBCLC here in town that I know that is, you know, private practice. And she's like, I'm not good at f- figuring out the posterior ties. I don't know how to do that yet. The ones up front, they're obvious. I do, but I don't know how to, you know, I haven't had the training to do that. And so finding out what, what do they know? Don't just, you know, go to anybody. And then, you know, if they're older, myofunctional therapists, this is just, you know, kind of our mindset, oral function in all those arenas from, you know, chewing, breathing, how it affects sleep, oral patient pain, that whole thing. You know, we spend all our time just assessing the function. And so even a dentist, now, if you, if you go to a dentist who maybe you'll hear the phrase thrown around an airway focused dentist or orthodontist or something like that, even they, they'll see some signs, They know, some of the big things that they're, they're for, they're probably going to send you to a the therapist anyway, to get a functional evaluation and figure out specifically what's wrong with you. So I often call her, you know, myself like a client navigator kind of the hub like we'll get this evaluation done figure out what's going on figure out who else we need on our team to achieve our goals and restore normal function you know and so I think that that's probably the best place to start and even with that you know checking their credentials finding out so if you tend to have something maybe that's your issues are more speech related most therapists like 99 percent are SLP speech language pathologist or a dental hygienist There's a few other professions that are doing myofunctional therapy. We have it specifically written in our scope, but occasionally you'll find a PT, occasionally an OT if they get, they're working in a pediatric feeding space and gets, I think maybe they have to have permission from their state to to do it. But hands down, it's going to be an SLP or an RDH. And so if you tend to have more issues that are speech related or really complex issues, you probably want a myofunctional therapist that is a speech pathologist or dental stuff is your concern. You probably want to go with one that has the dental background. So those are some things to take consideration, I think. Real quick, do you use my Munchie? I do. I've got a drawer full behind me right here. I've gotten these and I really want to do them for all of my kids. I've tried to introduce this concept to my husband a little bit. and He needs to do like more research. Yeah, chewing is wonderful, especially for little, little jaws. Yeah. Chewing, there's something called wolf's law where, you know, when you apply pressure to bone, it helps stimulate bone growth. So chewing is one of the ways that we help our jaws grow. And most of the jaw growth is happening in those first few years of life, you know around 60% of it's down by the time we're four and 90% by the time we're 12. So a lot of times if we're, we're acting too late, you're acting too late. You know, let's work with the kids that are growing and help them grow right. And so that's a great tool, I feel like, to help them establish some normal, healthy functional patterns, develop the musculature of the face, work on nasal breathing. A lot of the newer ones now, they have a little tab on it. So it helps work on their tongue getting up and just chewing is something I think that, you know, we know a little bit about, but you know, there's even neurocognitive benefits to getting chewing in. And we just don't have diets that allow for it anymore. Our diets are very different than they used to be. I know I've taken a lot of your time here and I really appreciate, because this again is one of my favorite topics to talk about. But if someone is interested more about what you do, you specifically, oral facial biology, can you just kind of let us know where to find you and where they should go looking I believe, is it ILM.org? It's the International Association of Oral Patient Myology. And that is the certifying body that's been around for over 50 years, training professionals and certifying them. They have a very, I'd say pretty rigorous certification process. Now, one does not have to be certified. Someone can get some training and do this and just start, you know, because what allows them to do it is the license that they have, the healthcare license, the SLP or the dental license. But I think it's nice, really good. If you can get somebody certified, you know, they've They've been vetted as far as, you know, they know their stuff. Some people are in the process because it does take time. So I wouldn't say just shy away from someone who's not certified yet, because if you're going through that process, you've got a lot. You've got to have case studies ready, take a huge written test. Um, you, your work gets observed. So just because they're not certified doesn't mean that they're not a good therapist. But yeah, so they've got a directory. Also the AOMT, the American Academy of Oral Facial Malfunctional Therapy. I don't remember how long they've been around, but they were doing some really good training and content and they've got a directory as well. There's another one called Airway Circle. And that one is nice because it's a collaboration. Airway Circle is a nonprofit group that providers from a variety of specialties come together with the focus of helping create healthy jaws and airways. So there are functional therapists, there's dentists, orthodontists, ENTs, allergists, you know, anybody that might be able to help you with that problem, there's a whole directory for those. So that's airwaycircle.com. And then me personally, functionalfaceomt.com is the website. We're on Instagram and we're on Facebook, at functional face. I'm not a prolific poster. I go through phases where I post a lot. I get a little creative juices flowing and I'll, and I'll post a lot in a week or two, or I love to share if we can some before and after cases or I share research, but that's where like you know, they can find me. And we do, we do work with people in telehealth. We do mostly in person, but we have been very successful working telehealth with people too. Cool. Well, thank you so much again for being here again. I get this question and thought a lot and it's just, there's so many layers to it. So it is. Yeah. So that way other people hear too, that even though there are so many layers that it is worth the work, we've gone through the struggles with our own kids and it is, it's worth the work. Yeah. I tell, especially the younger the child is, it's a patient's project <laughs> for parents. But I was like, we will get there. I We'll help you. Um, And I also have a great other therapist here, Barbara. It's like, we got you. Don't worry. If you feel confused or overwhelmed, we'll take it one step at a time. We got you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, Holly. Thank you for listening in today. And I hope you'll be back. Stay curious, stay humble, and always lead with empathy. Please also take a moment to share this episode with someone this podcast. Write a review or comment on my latest Instagram post at Logan underscore help. Thank you. Have an awesome day.